Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in Nottingham, Maryland, where I am spending some time with my family and visiting some old friends from the old neighborhood. And also, I'm going to participate in something called the Maryland Live Classic or something like that. Anyway, there's a big tournament at Maryland Live. There's an $1,100 buy-in with a $200,000 guarantee that I'm considering playing, but it's a two-day event. And I'm only in town for a few days, and I've got aunts, uncles, mothers, brothers, and everybody else pulling me in a lot of different directions. But I'm sure that I'm going to play on Sunday the $550 live progressive knockout bounty event that they're doing. I can't wait to see how they do all this with the uh, PKO in the live setting. It's a one-day turbo event, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's part of the live classic tournament series. So that's what I'm doing here. I hope that you're all enjoying your August. I will never complain about the hot weather in August. I expect hot weather in August. I expect hot weather when I go to Vegas in June and July. I will complain all winter. So that's (laughs) my take. I like being outside with hardly any clothes on going into a swimming pool, like that's kind of my whole vibe. So I'm all about it, and I hope that you are too. But if not, fall is right around the corner, and I am currently in the process of figuring out my fall poker schedule, and I'm looking for suggestions, guys. Especially in the month of November, I have a little bit of a hole in my comedy schedule right around the middle of November, and I want your thoughts on where I should go and play. What kind of good tournament series are out there for a guy like me to hop into towards the end of the year? I want to share a Twitter message that I received from a user by the name of Nick Economides. He's Greek, I think. Uh, (laughs) Nick's a good guy. I actually uh, met him in person once and he is a regular listener who likes poker and has a regular job in the insurance business so he's a financial guy and he brought up a really good point he writes clayton you made a comment on a recent episode that caught my attention something about considering the buy-in to the tournament and what you had invested versus the potential winnings of coming in third or fourth etc that sounds like a sunk cost error, which is to say you should ignore what you paid to enter and focus on maximizing your expected tournament winnings. Now, this makes me wonder. Now, I really appreciate you keeping in touch, Nick, and I really appreciate the the message. And if anyone else wants to leave me a message, my DMs are open, or you can just tweet me publicly at ClaytonComic, twitter.com slash Clayton comic. So let's talk about the sunk cost fallacy 
which is also, by the way, called a retrospective cost. So it's the idea that because we have invested some amount of money into a certain investment, we should spend more money rather than just letting that money go to waste. So to me, ICM has to do with the stack that I have in front of me having uh, more or less of an intrinsic value. So it's the idea that they're worth an actual dollar amount. So whereas the sunk cost fallacy has to do with chasing after, it's kind of like you don't want to uh, waste good money. Don't chase with good money after bad money. What's that old expression I can't think of right now? But yeah, you don't want to keep investing in something just because you've already put some amount of money into that investment. Obviously, chasing losses is a mistake, but I don't think that the ICM theory falls victim to this particular fallacy because we're not actually spending more money, but we are thinking about Well, if we spent this much to play and then we're trying to get into the money and make sure we earn this amount or that amount, then perhaps it does. So for those of you out there who are, you know, financial scholars or anyone who has studied things like this, I want to hear your thoughts and how do we resolve the apparent disparity between independent chip modeling and retrospective cost? A sunk cost is a cost that has already been incurred and cannot be recovered. Now, that part I do understand because that actually applies to every tournament buy-in. Once you pay your money and at least get dealt one hand, you can no longer recover your original buy-in unless you cash in that tournament. So what do you guys think? Is there something to explore here and possibly poke some holes in the ICM theory. All right, let's move on to uh, a main event email. This is from this year's main event. Uh, It's actually a tweet from Jake Miles at JakeMiles84, who actually uh, kind of phrased his question in a way that made me (laughs) laugh. He says, hey, Clayton, regular listener here, just got home from busting my first ever main event. Scale of one to 10, How big of a punt is this? So, uh, spoiler alert, guys, we're going to talk about Jake's bust-out hand from last month's WSOP main event. Turns out he played on day two, uh, 2D. So, before we go any further, first of all, Jake, congratulations on playing in your first ever main event. Now, I don't know if you satellited in or if you won your seat in your sleep, as I did, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to about six episodes ago, and you'll hear what happened to me overnight. Uh, Or if you actually just saved up your money or built up your bankroll and went ahead and took a shot at the main event. Whatever it is, for many, many poker players, their goal, their dream even, is to someday play in just one World Series main event. So you got to that point, and I want to just say congratulations. And also, since this hand comes from day 2D, congratulations on making it to day 2 as well. So it's early on in the day. Uh, The blinds are 600, 1200 with a 1200 big blind ante 
and Hero has 84,000 in his stack, which I'm assuming is going to be more or less of just hanging in there. He's got about an average stack, probably a little bit less, but it's not really even that important because the main event is such a grind. It's such a marathon that it really doesn't matter. Like if you're running a marathon, like literally running a 26.2 mile foot race and you are, you know, say it's the New York marathon with like literally tens of thousands of runners in it. Say you're in, you know, 900th place after the first two and a half miles. Who cares? You know, it's just about kind of being in there and and hanging in there. So he says, uh, hero has been playing very tight. He's got an M of 28. He's got about 70 times the big blind in his stack. And it folds to Hero in the low jack, holding the nine of clubs, eight of clubs. And Hero decides to open this pot to 2,600. Well, first of all, if Hero has been playing very tight, I wouldn't call this very tight. It's certainly reasonable, but it's not really typical of a player that would describe himself as being very tight. So just to point that out, you are in late middle position in the low jack, so that's not especially tight to be playing a suited connector. Obviously, we can afford to do it. We've got an M of 28, but there are plenty of players in the main event that wouldn't dream of opening this hand from this position in this tournament. Anyway, the button calls, and the button has a pretty wild, loose, aggressive style pre-flop but has mostly been in line post-flop. So maybe not the type to do a three-barrel bluff or something like that, but certainly the type that we might have expected to three-bet with a lot of his range, but just flats here on the button. And the button does actually have us covered by about 40%. So the blinds fold, and we're going to play this pot from out of position, heads up, with a pretty deep stack of 70 Big blinds, effective. The flop comes. Queen of clubs, jack of spades, seven of clubs. Again, hero holding the nine, eight of clubs. So what a flop for our hero. Now with a gut shot and a flush draw. That is a combo draw. And let's just see how big of a continuation bet he wants to fire. It says here, hero checks. Okay, um, look, I believe that checking here is not the best play. Certainly, we need to have some bluffs in our range. And against a loose, aggressive opponent, it's great to have bluffs that can handle the uh, heat of a raise. And a hand with this much equity versus virtually any hand that our opponent could hold, I believe that betting here is the best play. Unless... This villain is so loose aggressive that we are actually getting greedy and going for a check raise here on the flop. Uh, I would prefer just going ahead and bet it and usually take it down, sometimes get called by like a pair of jacks or whatever the case may be, and certainly have plenty of outs to catch up and win a bigger pot versus a hand like that. So I think that I would just like to disagree with Hero's decision. Hero checks, and then behind us, the button checks. So we'll never actually know whether Hero was going for some kind of sneaky little check raise on the flop. 
Now, by the way, guys, let's explore that option a little bit more. We flopped a flush draw on a gut shot. And if we check raise on the flop of queen jack seven with two clubs, are we ever really doing that for value? I mean, if hero had flopped queens and jacks with a hand like queen jack, would that be a check raise hand or would hero just lead out? Similarly, if hero had flopped an over pair with pocket aces or a set with pocket queens, would we ever be check raising? In my experience, the open the pot and check raise the flop line uh, is generally a draw. So many players don't have enough value in their check raising range. We all like to check raise with a draw, but really what is the range for check raising for value on this flop? And the reason why I'm asking that question, guys, is because it's so detrimental to our strategy to have a really strong value hand and check it and have our opponent check behind. Now, you don't mind that as much when all you have is nine high, like we do in this hand. Like we have nine high with tremendous potential, but at the end of the day, we have nine high on the flop, right? So if it goes check, check, that's not so bad because we can always make that hand on the turn or the river. But in the case of having a value hand, a, a three streets of value type of hand. It is just too risky to check so much strength because our opponent may check behind, costing us an entire street of value. So I feel like if we have ace queen, pocket kings, a set, any of those really strong hands on this flop, I think most of us are going to just bet out, which means our check raises are going to be bluff heavy and draw heavy, semi-bluff heavy. It's very hard to combat against that, and that's why I prefer leading here rather than going for the sexy check raise. So anyway, it does go check, check on the flop, and now on the turn with 8,200 still in the pot, we see the 10 of hearts, which gives our hero a straight. And he also has a flush draw just in case. Hero now decides to bet 3,500 into the 8,200 pot. And I'm not a fan of this sizing, Jake. I think that villain has tons and tons of hands with which to give action. I mean, hands like king, queen, king, jack, king, 10. Any king has an open-ended straight draw. Uh, of course, there are two pair combos such as Jack-10, Queen-10, Queen-Jack that can certainly give action and would do so even if we decided to make a much larger bet, like a pot size bet here on the turn. So my sizing here would be something like 7,500 into 8,200 and I would expect to be able to get action from a lot of hands that I now have absolutely crushed with my bottom end of a queen high straight. So anyway, Hero does bet 3,500, and at this point, Villain raises to 8,000. Now let's go back to the original description of this Villain. He has played a pretty wild, loose, aggressive pre-flop style, but has been mostly in-line post-flop. Well, last time I checked, the turn is post-flop, so... What do we make of this raise? Well, would the real question really becomes, would this villain 
raise with a set or two pair? I think the answer is yes. I think especially with a set, uh, many players would flat call on the button with pocket tens, maybe even pocket jacks, probably not pocket queens, but given stacks, it would be a little bit awkward, especially with the tens to get four bet with a 70 big blind stack. This is so awkward. So I think that flatting is okay on the button. So it could be that villain picked up a set, but I'm actually a little more concerned that we could actually be behind to a hand like King nine. This play is consistent with King nine, you know, not a great flop for King nine and just check behind and then make the second nuts on the turn. Uh, the thing is we do block King nine with our nine, eight, And so I'm not really in the business of worrying about everything. So I think we should just raise it up again. So we bet 35 and Villain made it 8,000. I think I would make it something like 18,000 and keep the lead in the hand. Maybe if Villain keeps raising, we can actually consider folding, especially because Villain has been mostly in line post-flop. Uh, but that's pretty tough. I mean, look, what does he have? Ace King. You tell me he didn't three bet with Ace King. That seems unlikely from a player who has been pretty wild, loose, aggressive pre-flop. So I think we can discount Ace King a little bit. I'm slightly worried about King nine, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm pretty willing to get all in here. You know, we made a straight. We still have a draw to the flush in the event that we are behind King nine. I think we can discount Ace-King based on the player description, although it's certainly not impossible. So, yeah, I guess I would go ahead and try to get all in. So, let's change our answer. Hero bets 35. Villain makes it 8,000. I think I would try to get all in, maybe make it 25,000, and then obviously call if Villain shoves. And then, you know, maybe he's got a set. Maybe he's got two pair and just doesn't believe us. Maybe he's drawing too with a hand like King 10 and just wants to spaz out and go crazy. I mean, you do see things like that. Now, you don't see them as often early on day two of the main event. Players at that point in the tournament tend to be finding their bearings or what have you, but it's something you will see sometimes. So we can't just go folding a straight with a flush draw attached to it just because some guy decides to put in a, a lot of chips. So yeah, I think maybe I would try to get all in right here on the turn. So Hero just calls the 8,000 and we're going to see a river. And so now with 24,200 in the middle, the river comes the six of diamonds. And Hero just checks again, playing in flow. Let the guy who put in the last raise make the next bet. And Villain decides to bet 18000 into the 24200 pot. I don't know, guys. I'm starting to hate this a little bit. Why is he still betting? If we raise, can he call with worse? I guess so, right? He still has the sets. I don't know. It's the main event. It's important to accumulate chips when we have a good hand. But we missed our flush. We have the lowest possible straight i mean is it really nitty of me to just want to call now 
I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to call the 18,000. And when he turns over like two pair or a set, I'm going to kind of kick myself. But when he has that king nine that I was a little bit worried about, I'm going to feel like the best poker player in the world. Yeah, I think I would just call and you know show me what you got. What is it? Uh, instead, Hero decides to raise to 40,000. So this is really awkward because we have already put in 50,000 chips and we've only got another 34,000 behind. So what do you do if you're going to make that raise? What are you going to do if villain shoves? I mean, at that point, you really can't beat anything, but you're so pot committed. I don't know. This is just a little bit ugly here. I don't like raising to 40,000. I think if you want to raise, you go ahead and, and make it an all-in bet. I, yeah, I don't know. This is kind of icky to me. I think that I would just call here on the river. I don't want to go all in because I feel like I can only get called by worse. But if I check raise and get all pot committed with the third nuts, what do I do when villain goes all in over the top? Ugh. Yeah, I guess I'm just calling. As it turns out, villain does shove. So now we have a, a decision here. For the remaining 34,000, there's about 112,000 in the middle, if my math is correct. So it only costs another 34,000. So we're getting like three and a half to one. Oh man, this is ugly. How often is the queen high straight good? I really don't know because I wasn't at the table and I don't know much about this villain other than what I've already shared with you. So I guess we're just pot committed and we have to call with a straight and hope this guy really overplayed a set. As it turns out, Hero does make the call and loses the main event. Villain had Ace-King. I don't know. I guess if it looks like the nuts and it quacks like the nuts, it's the nuts. Oh, that's tough, especially given that we had that flush draw on top of everything else. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Bust out. Um, okay, let's answer your question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how big of a punt is this? Well, it's certainly not the worst I've ever seen. Uh, it's not the best either. Let's say it's, a, I guess I'll give it a 6.5 if 10 is the worst punt ever and 1 is not a punt at all. And before we wrap up this week's episode, guys, just a quick note about the uh, sponsorship. I don't mean to like keep building up this anticipation about oh who's the sponsor going to be and what's going on with the podcast. I can just tell you I, I have to wait one more week. I know that many of you are curious about this and I'm getting your messages about it and I haven't been able to announce anything, although it is kind of fun to see you guys speculate about what's going to happen with the podcast. I can tell you at this point there's a 99.999% chance that we won't be dissolving this mm -hmm. thing anytime soon. And that's just going to have to do for now. And I'm hoping that next week I can be a little bit, okay, a lot more specific. And that'll do it for this episode. You guys are the best. You know what to do. Rate and review. Give us five stars. It helps so, so much. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening.
Jesus, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody. 